Well, hey, good morning. My name is Chase Davis. I am one of the lead pastors up at the Well Church in Boulder, which is just right on the other side of Denver uh, from Parker. And from what I understand, it's a little bit different in Boulder than it is here in Parker. I so wish I could be with you in person this morning. I was actually scheduled to come out uh, right when uh, Mark and Jen were were set to go on a cruise, right when this all broke. Uh, And I was texting him that week like, hey, are you getting on that boat? Uh, What's going to happen? And uh, and he ended, didn't end up going on that, but it is a joy to be with you, even over this digital platform this morning for church. It's really an honor to join you. Um, we're connected through the Acts 29 network, and it really, Mark and I have gotten to know each other through a cohort that we're part of in that, and I, I'm just so blessed by his presence, and I'm so glad that you're here uh, joining uh, Redemption Parker online for church this morning. I, I look forward to the day when we can get together again. Hopefully, uh, the message I deliver will be one that uh, will maybe uh, be so good that you would invite me back. That would be awesome. But either way, I'm glad to be with you and thankful this morning. We're big fans of you guys. We're big fans of the ministry that Mark and Jen and you guys have here in Parker. And uh, this morning, I just really want to encourage you as a church. Um, like I said, we're big fans of you guys. In fact, our women's ministry actually had a uh, Zoom call last night using Jen's book as kind of their women's ministry study. And so we're, we're really thankful for the ministry you guys have. And I'm just really thankful to be here with you. Uh, this morning, we're actually going to talk about something that is really important and, and is probably something you've been searching for and longing for during this se- season, something that may have been hard to come by, something that you've been desperate to have, and that topic is joy. We've been searching for joy. And when we're talking about joy, we're not just talking about a feeling in our lives. We're talking almost about a belief, a hope, something that's certain. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is having joy in the gospel during times when maybe you don't find joy in the gospel, or maybe you don't find joy in life. Now, there's something ironic about me preaching a sermon on joy. See, I know we don't know each other that well, but if you were to get to know me, you would understand this. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily the most optimistic person you would ever meet. In fact, uh, there are many days when I actually enjoy being sad. I know I'm a weird person like that. There, there may be some of you watching who feel the same way. I can have kind of a melancholy bent in life. Uh, when it's raining outside, I find that inspirational. In fact, me uh, wearing black while talking about joy is is somewhat indicative of the type of personality I have. And really just me as a person, I can go through seasons of highs and lows emotionally where where joy doesn't seem to be that prominent in my life. And so it's some somewhat ironic that I'm preaching on joy, but I'm sure many of you are feeling the same way. Uh, whether you're normally an optimistic person or whether you're normally a joyful person, um, this season has been trying. This season has been super hard to find joy, a season of lockdown and pandemic, of threat, of of threat of health and death and wealth and all these things that are kind of feeling like they're closing in on us can threaten even the most optimistic among us. And God doesn't look at us when we're feeling low or or we're lacking joy. He doesn't despise us. He welcomes us. He invites us. Uh, Many people struggle with these kind of things. There's a famous uh, preacher from the 19th century named Charles Spurgeon, and he preached over 35 sermons on the topic of joy. And all the while, he struggled with depression all throughout the course of his ministry. Now, I don't call what I struggle with depression necessarily. Uh, I just call it Tuesday. But I definitely have those seasons where... I feel a little melancholy, a little low. But here's why I think that might qualify me to help you experience more of the joy of God this morning. See, if I can 
become a more joyful person, if I can learn to cultivate a posture of joy before the Lord, my guess is that I might be able to help you. And I hope I'm able to do that this morning is to help you maybe just move one foot forward this morning in being more joyful in God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at joy together and we're going to try to learn to be joyful together as people. I know during the season, it's been super hard. And so my question for you is, how have you found joy or have you found joy at all? Maybe for the last eight, 10 weeks, you've just kind of been in this state of fear and anxiety and worry. And I don't blame you for that. It's been very overwhelming. Uh, It's been very confusing. But what I want to offer you this morning, what God wants to offer you more importantly, is joy in him. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Luke 1, 46 to 55. It's a, it's a bit lengthy. It's nine verses. But the context for this is a song of Mary. And it's a song of joy. And what we want to do is we want to look through this passage. And we're going to highlight three things in this passage that should be able to cultivate in us joy. They're going to be three habits of joy is what we're going to call them because we want to be a joyful people. And so let me read uh, Luke 1, 46 to 55 to us this morning, and then I'll pray for us and then we'll dive into it. Luke 1, 46 to 55 says this, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let me pray for us. God, as we dive into your word together, I pray that even over this virtual platform, that God, you would minister to us. I thank you that you've ministered to me as I've prepared for the sermon. And I thank you that you are active and working in our lives. Holy Spirit, we, we thank you that you are active in shaping and encouraging, convicting, exhorting us. And I pray that this morning, as we look at Mary's song, that we would be a people who are joy-filled people, a people who praise you, who are able to obey that command to rejoice always without uh, begrudging or without feeling a, a great burden. Um, God, let us be a joyful people who love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. The situation for the song is really important. There's a context that if I don't explain it, uh, you're kind of going to miss out on some of the opportunities. And see, see what's happening in Mary's life is this. She's just been told that she is going to bring the Messiah into the world, the Son of God, Jesus into the world. And she's just gotten back from visiting Elizabeth, her relative. And Elizabeth is a woman who's been barren, uh, meaning she, she wasn't able to conceive. And God has come to her with good news that she can have a baby, that she's going to have a baby and that that baby, John the Baptist is going to be anointed with, with a ministry that's going to kind of pave the way for the Messiah. And so these two women in two different situations has just, have just received this great news. And, and for Elizabeth, this was a situation where she was probably feeling hopeless, joyless, like there was no hope. And for, for Mary, 
she's she feels like a nobody who's been kind of overlooked she's not even married yet and yet god has chosen to come to her with great news and not just for her but for all people in fact god's going to work through her to bring salvation to the world you can imagine the joy that would have been in their heart and really the circumstances that they they were experiencing uh, would have would have almost seemed to preclude the ability to have joy. And yet we see that for them, their circumstances didn't determine their joy. God does. And that's true for us, isn't it? That our circumstances don't set the stage for our joy. At least they shouldn't. They don't determine our joy. It's God who determines our joy. And that's true throughout any season of life. And so this is the situation that we see Mary having this song in. She's just been visited by God. An angel has visitor, visited her and told her that she's going to bring the Messiah into the world. Now, if you're anything like me, you would be reading this and hearing this and thinking, that sounds great. I'm really happy for Mary. Good for her. I'm really glad that she had an angel come and visit her. But I haven't necessarily had that happen to me. I don't know where my angel is. Why hasn't an angel come to visit me to give me good news? Many times we're, we're looking at Bible passages where people rejoice and are experiencing the joy of God. And we're wondering, that's nice for them, but where is God for me? And we're going to discover more of that this morning. Even for many of us, when we hear verses that talk about uh, rejoice always and to be joyful in God and these kind of commands that God expects us to be joy-filled people, many times these things can feel more like a burden than a blessing to obey. They can be real hard. In fact, in the midst of suffering, anxiety, uh, personal anguish, death, injustice in the world, lockdowns, pandemics, an uncertain future, we can, we can look at a command to be joyful and become suspicious of God himself. How could God command us to be joyful? How could God expect us to be joyful? We don't sense that God has visited us. We don't sense that God has necessarily come to us with an angel. We feel like he is far off. What are we to do when we don't feel joyful? Well, what we're going to discover this morning is that we're going to be people who choose joy. We're going to be people who choose joy. We're not just going to wait for joy to happen. We're going to choose it. An author put it this way. I have a quote from him. He says this, those of us who know ourselves and are learning to be honest with reality, own up to how little we are truly joyful and ask our father again and again, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's from Psalm fifty-one, twelve, And this is true for many of us. What God is asking of you and I, isn't that we pretend to be joyful, but we come to him and find joy. So let's look at three features of Mary's song, and let's see those three features and how really we can learn from those three things, how to cultivate a, a belief and an attitude that chooses joy, even in the hardest of circumstances, even in circumstances where there seems to be no hope. We want to be a joyful people rather than waiting around for joy to happen to us. Much like an artist might wait around for inspiration to strike, many of us are just waiting for joy to happen. Like it's some fleeting feeling out there that we've got we've to latch on to if it, it kind of drifts by us. And instead, what we want to be is people who choose joy daily. So first, verses 46 to 49, we see a, a, a key feature of godly joy is that it worships and praises God. See, Mary is grateful to God, and that's the key feature. Mary is grateful to God. Mary speaks this song of praise to God, 
And she sings glory to God for seeing her. Her soul magnifies the Lord is is what it says. Now, why is she grateful to God? Why is she praising God? Why is she a grateful person in this moment? Why? Well, three things. First, God sees her. He has looked on the humble estate of Mary. God sees Mary. And isn't this what you and I want to know that we're seen, that somebody sees us, that somebody notices us, that we're not forgotten? Isn't this what we all crave is to be seen from, from posting things online to, to acting out as children, whatever it may be, we crave to be seen. And Mary has been seen by God and that's making her grateful. See, when you and I know that we're seen by God and known by God, we are grateful people because we're known by God. All of a sudden, all the other clamoring for attention we have can be satisfied in God. If we're known by God, we can be grateful because we're in Christ. Second, God changes her story. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary was kind of a nobody from nowhere in that day. She was someone that would have been easily overlooked. And and yet God has looked on her and he's flipped the script on her story. Instead of Mary living a story of irrelevance and kind of not having a future or legacy, God has given her a special legacy. God has looked at her and chosen her to be used by him to bring salvation to other people. And you and I as Christians, if you are a Christian, you and I as Christians get this opportunity as well. We've been seen by God. We know God. All of a sudden, God has changed our story. God has changed my life so that no longer do I have to live a story of of fear and despair, but I can live a story of eternal hope in who God is. I can be grateful to God for changing the story. And then thirdly, she's grateful because God, who is holy and perfect in all his ways, has come to see her in her place. He has come near to her, and she acknowledges that God is perfectly holy in all he does. He is without blemish. He is perfect. And this is what she closes out with in verse 49. He who is mighty has done, a, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And so these three things result in Mary having a disposition of gratitude. We want to be people of gratitude. And this is the first habit of godly joy is gratitude. If we're going to be people of joy, we want to develop an habit of gratitude. Now, one of the challenges with this, one of the problems with this is that there's a trap out there for us. There's a trap. Uh, One one author uh, famously said it this way, that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. The trap that we all fall into uh, that fights gratitude in our lives is comparison. Now, I know that you and I, we would not like to admit that we compare ourselves to others. We would like to, you know, kind of pretend at least that, that, you know, we're not playing that game. We're not trying to keep up with the Joneses, whatever it may be. We're trying to play, uh, you know, a content life. But if we're honest with ourselves, if you can be honest with me and I can be honest with you, most of us are playing the comparison game on a daily basis. We're playing on a daily basis and you just have your own little nuance to it. Some, for some people, it's, it's income level. For some people, it's size of house. For other people, it's how many kids. For other people, it's how many degrees. For some of you out there, it may be, well, I have a better beer preference than other people. And so that makes me better than them. It, it could be social media for you, whatever it may be. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other others. And what it's doing is it's killing our ability to be grateful people because we can't truly be grateful if we're constantly jealous people. I remember I had this experience about a year ago. It was almost exactly a year ago, uh, which is the only time I've been to Parker in person besides 
today. Uh, when I graduated from seminary, I was at a seminary graduation, and I was really proud of myself, really excited, really thankful to God that I had graduated. And I wanted to share that opportunity, that, or not just opportunity, that accomplishment with my friends. And so I put it on social media that I had graduated. And, and I think that's relatively innocuous. You know, I, I wanted people to see and, and celebrate with me. But what social media tends to do is it tends to start uh, making the algorithm show you other people who have done other things in life. And what I noticed is that, you know, I was really proud of my accomplishment of graduating from seminary. But all of a sudden I noticed other people who are younger than me who had more, more degrees than me already. And not just more degrees than me, they've already planted churches, church, like multiple churches. And not just planted churches, they've written books. And, and you can just scroll, I could scroll down the list on the screen of people who, who were just better than me, uh, you know, accomplishment-wise in life. And all of a sudden, my accomplishment lacked the joy and gratitude that I had to God because I was so busy comparing myself to other people. Now, maybe you're more holy than I am and and you don't do that kind of thing and you've never entertained that thought. But I think for most of us, if we're honest, we play this game regularly where we compare ourselves to others. And what comparison does is it really robs us of the ability to be grateful. It makes gratitude almost impossible. So how are we going to fight comparison? How do we avoid this trap of comparison? Well, we're going to prioritize gratitude in our life towards God. We're going to make gratitude not just something that we're going to be grateful for if things go a certain way. We're going to be grateful every day for the opportunity to be alive in the first place. And this is a key feature of Mary's song. Mary isn't just grateful for the angel coming to visit her. Mary is grateful to God for his holiness, for his salvation, for who he is and for her getting to be part of the story. And you and I can be grateful for this as well. You and I can practice gratitude in these ways. See, we need to thank God for his provision, his mercy every day, every morning, every hour, because we're not, we don't want to be people. We're not going to be people who just wait around for gratitude to happen. We're not going to wait until the conditions are right, until God's delivered us what we want to be grateful. We want to be a people who cultivate gratitude today, so that we can have a disposition of joy. We can choose joy in regards to God. We're going to direct our gratitude to God. And by doing that, we're going to cultivate joy in our lives. Let's look at another feature of Mary's song, verses 50 to 53. Another key feature of Mary's song is God's faithfulness to show wonder, which, or show his faithfulness to people, which cultivates wonder in her life. That Mary is captivated with God. She is filled with wonder towards God. And this is a huge feature of having a joyful presence, of being a joyful person, of choosing joy. We're going to be filled with wonder. Now, Mary's filled with wonder for a couple of reasons, as we see in verses 50 to 52. Why is, why is she filled with wonder? Because he's been faithful. Because he's always been faithful. Because he's been faithful to his people. He has sown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of their hearts. And the verse before, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. God is faithful to his people. And this is what Mary praises, that God is always faithful. He is long-suffering with us, is the way the Bible would put it. Now, I, I get this question sometimes as a pastor. If God is so good, why doesn't he just come now and make everything right? And that's a real tension point for a lot of us, isn't it? If God is just and God is merciful and God is perfectly good, why doesn't he just come and make everything right, right now? Well, the answer to that is in Mary's song, that God wants more people from generation to generation to generation to know him. 
He puts off uh, his return, his imminent return, his soon return, as the Bible puts it. He puts off his return so that more people can come to know him. And this should fill us with wonder. We should wonder at God's ways that he delays so that more people can come to know him. And this is a huge way that God is faithful. And she's also filled with wonder because of God's mercy and justice, this perfect combination of mercy and justice in God, that God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful. And this is what you and I crave in the world, isn't it? We see all sorts of injustices, whether it's slights that we personally feel from other people or it's systemic injustices in the world. We all sense that the world is not perfectly just. And yet we should be filled with wonder that God himself is just, perfectly executing justice on the cross, absorbing it as the son of God, Jesus Christ on the cross, so that we can be people of mercy who have received mercy. And this fills her with wonder. See, we need to be people filled with wonder. This is the second habit of joy, is that we would be a people filled with wonder. This kind of ability to be a people that are filled with wonder, what it's going to do is it's going to set the stage. It's going to almost make the ground fertile for joy to come forth in our life. The ability to choose joy must come from a ground filled with wonder at the world, as God's ways are wonderful. See, something as simple as turning to the created world is hugely impactful in having a wonder of God. Because we live in Colorado, we have the great opportunity to be filled with wonder all year round. We just head up into the mountains and we stand on a vista and we overlook uh, different features of the landscape and we're filled with wonder at God's ways. I know for my family, we go up every summer to a, to a family cabin and there's a pass called Cottonwood Pass and it, it ascends and it crosses the Continental Divide. And when you get up to the top, there's this beautiful scenery, no matter what, what the... Uh, clouds are like, or the sky is like, it's always beautiful. And what it does is it fills you with wonder. And ultimately that wonder of creation, it should be directed back to God, that God is faithful in creation to sustain everything. And what may be robbing you and I of wonder more than anything is that we typically have a very materialistic, naturalistic view of the material world. Think about how, how lacking wonder it is if we look at the material world and we just all think it's happenstance. If we all think it's just random chance that things are put together, well, we're not going to be filled with very much wonder. You and I wouldn't visit the Grand Canyon and go, well, that's, that's cool that randomly this all worked out and that we're here today. No, we want to be filled with wonder at, at God's creation that God has a purpose behind everything, that God is sovereign over everything. Not only that, but we live in a world that's almost disenchanted. And when I say disenchanted, I mean, we live in a world that kind of lacks this, this ability to connect with the spiritual. We, we, we kind of downplay things we can't see because we're people of a modern age. We want everything to be verifiable in the material world. And if it's not verifiable by us statistically or scientifically, then it can't be real. And yet what we see Mary doing is gazing in wonder at God's ways. Who, who stands beyond the material world in many respects because God is spirit. And so she's filled with wonder at this God who has come to her and you and I can be filled with wonder in a similar way. One way I've tried to be cultivating wonder in my life, uh, I, I kind of have a drive, a commute to work, to the office, uh, normally when there's not a pandemic going on. And it's a beautiful drive uh, right into Boulder where I get to gaze at the mountains. And, and when I look at the mountains, I'm not just looking at how beautiful they are. They are beautiful. I'm then remembering how beautiful God is as it's reflected in his creation. Or another way I've been trying it this season is uh, 
on my back deck, we have aspens that are right by our back deck. And I think aspens are beautiful and awesome, even though I think they're technically like a weed because they're all connected. But I think aspens are beautiful, especially in the fall, but even in the spring and the summer when they're, when they're just blooming and the leaves are coming out and you gaze up at them and you see the sunlight filtering through aspens and the leaves kind of rattling around and it fills you with wonder. And that's what God is inviting you and I to remember again is the wonder of creation, the wonder of his ways, the wonder of his faithfulness. We want to be people who are filled with wonder. And this kind of brings us to the last and third feature of Mary's song in verses 53 to 55. And that feature is one that you and I need more now than ever. And that feature is hope. We need hope. We need to be people who cultivate hope in our life. Now, Mary is hopeful because God has remembered his people and he hasn't just remembered his people, not just like a past tense term. He's also promised forever to provide for them, to see salvation through for them. Look at verse 55. It says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God is faithful forever. God has remembered his people. And Mary sings this beautiful song because God has remembered his people. And this gives her hope that for 400 years they had dwelled in silence, not hearing from God. And all of a sudden God has spoken again as he, as he already had spoken through his word, right? And God speaks again and it gives her hope. And she knows that she's been seen and known by God. And this is what the Bible talks about over and over again for you and I, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to see it through. Romans 8 is a beautiful place to go to remember that God is always faithful. And we remember God's faithfulness from generation to generation to offer you and I salvation. We can have hope. We can be people of hope. Because really what's important for you and I is that we know that God remembers us. I know for some of you who are watching, you feel like during this season, God's not paying attention. That God is almost turning the other eye. That, that whether you've lost a job or lost a loved one, or you're, or you're just scared and you feel alone, that God isn't paying attention. But what Mary reminds us of, and what the Bible testifies to, is that God has not abandoned us. God has not turned away from us. God remembers us. God looks at us and he remembers us. We have hope because God remembers his people. One way I try to do this, and I would encourage you to do this, is when you read the Bible, you can read it from cover to cover. And when we're reading the Bible, you have to remember, we're not reading a book of laws or commands primarily. What we're reading is a love story, God's love story for people, to redeem people to himself. And what you're going to see and what you're going to notice, and what I want you to notice as you read the Bible, is how much God pursues his people and how much God remembers his people. He doesn't quit on his people. If you are in Christ, if you know God, if you've been born again, as as Christians call it, right? If you've been born again, then God has remembered you and God will not quit on you and God has not abandoned you. God is faithful. God is good. God remembers you. You have not been forgotten like some old toy in a closet or some old thing that you found lying around. You are, you have not been left behind. God is pursuing you. And this is why Mary sings this song. See the opportunity when we read this song together, Mary's song, the opportunity to remember is that you and I can have joy in Christ this morning. Whether you are a Christian, you've been walking with God for a long time, or maybe you're just checking out Redemption Parker and you're just curious about Christianity, you have the opportunity to encounter God. See, the story of Mary's song is a story that's true for all of us. 
that when the Son of God became man, Jesus, and Mary was the one to, to birth Jesus into the world, so that he could come, live the perfect life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve, and then rose again to give us new life. That's not just an offer of hope for Mary. That's not just an offer of joy for Mary. It's an offer for you this morning. It's an offer for you to experience the joy of God because God has come near to us, not just to Mary. God has come near to us. He is encountering you this morning through the preached word. He's encountering you. His Holy Spirit is living and active among his body all over the world, but especially here in Redemption Parker, he is working. He has come near to us. And because the Son of God has come to us, has sought us out, we can have joy. And I want to extend that opportunity for you this morning. Maybe you've forgotten that and, and you need to come to God this morning. You, you need to come to God, as, as that author put it that I read at the beginning, and we need to acknowledge that we've been joyless, that we haven't sensed his presence, and we can come to him and he will welcome us home. Or maybe you've never done that. You've never reached out to God. You've never sensed his presence. And this morning is an opportunity for you to do that for the first time. See, we can choose joy even when life is hard because the gospel joy isn't something out there. It's something that's come to us because joy is the son of God coming to us. I know that many times life is hard, that many times it's hard to choose joy. My wife and I went through a season of that about uh, five years ago. Uh, Five years ago, we had our oldest son, Knox, who's seven, and and my wife got pregnant with our, our second child. And I was away on a business trip. She was about six weeks uh, pregnant. And all of a sudden she called me while I was away and uh, she was miscarrying. And she had to go to the doctor to, to figure out what was going on and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And this was just tragic to us, but especially to Kim, my wife. Uh, I, I think that's how it typically goes. Although if, if you're a guy and, and that's been super hard for you too, I, I empathize. But for my wife, this was an especially crucial season for her because it was so hard. I, I flew in, I got an emergency flight home only to arrive at the hospital when everything was kind of going down. And that, that season of life for my wife, for Kim was so difficult. It was so hard to find joy. It was right around actually this time of year, May of, uh, of that year. And, and I watched my wife kind of suffer and go through a season where joy was hard to come by. Joy was really hard to come by. And what I watched my wife do, and and she hadn't read this and I hadn't preached this sermon or anything like that. I watched my wife cultivate these habits of joy, even in the midst of her suffering. She was planting flowers to remember beauty, to remember the beauty of God. She was practicing gratitude for what we had already in our oldest son, Knox, for the fact that we had each other. She was practicing hope, knowing that, hey, this isn't the end of our story. This isn't the end of my story. In fact, God delivered another child to us named Owen. He's, he's turning five in June. And I guess I think it's called a rainbow baby when that happens, a baby after a miscarriage. But what my wife exemplified during that season was the ability to choose joy. In fact, she made that kind of her slogan, choose joy. And so I want to encourage you to remember that even in the hardest of circumstances, just like my wife and I walk through, we can choose joy and not just circumstantial joy, not just temporary happiness, but a permanent eternal joy in God. Because joy doesn't look like ignoring pain. It doesn't look like downplaying suffering. It looks like even in the midst of hardship, being a people of hope, gratitude, and wonder towards God. 
See, what's interesting about God inviting you to know him is that God invites you to be a child again. This is what Jesus calls us to be like children before him. And for many of us, we've lived our entire lives trying to build ourselves up and and be confident people who are certain and, and know what we're doing and all that kind of stuff. But God invites us to be children again. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to be people of joy who are filled with gratitude, hope, and wonder. Think of you and I when we see the moon as adults. When we see the moon as adults, we just look at the night sky and we go, the moon's there. That's, that's neat. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small, sometimes it's not there, sometimes it is. But it's just kind of an afterthought when we see the moon. But have you ever seen a child notice the moon for the first time? Have you ever seen the wonder in their face when they look out the window and they go, the moon, it's there. Look how bright it is. How is it there? And they're filled with wonder and hope and and almost this curiosity. And friend, that is what God is inviting you back to this morning, is a posture of childlike humility before him, a posture that finds hope and wonder and gratitude in God and ultimately results in a joyful presence because you're known by God. See, joy ultimately is meant to be something eternal. The fact that you and I find joy so hard to come by, that it's so fleeting, that it's so uh, carried away by bad circumstances, is a reinforcement of the reality that we weren't meant to find our ultimate joy here. We were meant to find it in God. There's a quote I want to read you from an author, uh, if I can find it, about this kind of idea. It says this, Our joy will not be perfect in this life. We will always strain and struggle. We will have our angst and our anxieties. We will have our ups and downs. Yet even here we have tastes. Not only is indomitable joy coming, meaning joy that can't be defeated and won't back down and nobody can ever take it away. But even now we sample the sweetness, especially in suffering. It says this in 1 Peter 1.8, Though we do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with with glory. See, I know that you want to be a church filled with joy. Redemption Parker wants to be a church that oozes the joy of God. Can you imagine a church like that, that is just filled with so much joy that there's, there's this curiosity, this wonder, this hope, this gratitude that Redemption Parker experiences? Because here's what I do know. I do know that Parker doesn't need a church that's full of cynical, sad, despairing, joyless people, judgmental Christians that are just kind of going around looking at the situation, looking at the worship online and going, you know what? That's not up to snuff. That's not good enough for me. That's not why I'm part of this church. Instead, people are attracted to a church, just grateful, filled with wonder and filled with hope. I think back on my illustration of a child. I think of my own church when, when people complain about the worship music. And, and it's so interesting that Children are just captivated that music exists at all. The fact that we can make music together should be an experience of joy. But for a lot of us Christians, like myself, we get so caught up in kind of the intricacies of being adults that we lose our wonder and we lose our joy. And I know for this context, for Parker, what Parker needs is Redemption Parker to be a church that is filled with joy, joy in the gospel, joy in God himself. A church that testifies to the goodness of God, no matter what the situation is, no matter a pandemic, a lockdown, whatever it may be, 
a church that's filled with joy. Your neighbors, your neighborhoods, this city needs a people of joy in the gospel. And that is you this morning. That can be you this morning. And I know for for Mark and Jen and for everyone else who's a leader at this church, that's the kind of church that Redemption Parker longs to be. Thank you so much for letting me come and uh, share this message with you this morning. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you have sent your son, not just sending him to be born, but living the perfect life of obedience that we so often fail to live up to. And then dying the the death that we deserved and then rising from the grave. And you're now seated, Jesus, you're seated at the right hand of the father. God, we praise you for that. I pray for those of us watching this morning who, who are questioning whether you're good whether they can trust you. God, I pray that your spirit would move in such a way as to give them new life. And I pray for those of us who during the season we've lacked joy. God, I pray that you would help us to cultivate joy so that joy is not just a feeling that we feel sometimes when life is good, but that joy is a choice we make on a daily basis by being grateful people who are filled with wonder and filled with hope at your ways. Let us be a people who are filled with joy in the gospel. Amen.